If you've got a Bible, open it up. We are in the book of 1 Timothy, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Tonight we're in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Before we start, let's pray. Father, thank you for what your son tells us, that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. You do not reluctantly give us the kingdom. It is your good pleasure. Our hope tonight, Lord, is that you would speak. We know that you have spoken through your word. That's why we pour over it. That's why we love it. That's why we want to be taught by it. And so we're asking that by the Spirit, you would allow our hearts to believe it and love it, and that you would give us grace, fresh grace through it. Please be our help, Father. We ask it only through your Son and for his glory. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. If you've got the text in front of you, it's going to help because we're going to talk about specific phrases, specific words. And if you can see it, it will help you understand what Paul is trying to say here. Let's start by reading it all together. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 18. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is sharing his testimony. This is Paul's testimony, and it's unique. I mean, what what makes this unique is that it's a uniquely Christian testimony. It's showing us what's different about Christ from every other so-called God. His patience. It's perfect, and it's an invitation. That's what this text is. It's an invitation that you would run to him, the perfectly patient Savior. We're going to see three themes in this testimony, three themes. That's how we're going to work through the text. Really, we're mostly just going to march through the verses, but three themes we're going to see. The first is this. The good in Paul's life comes from Jesus. That's a theme you're going to see in this testimony. He's saying, the good in my life, it comes from Jesus. That's the first theme. 
The second theme is Paul saying, the good I've received is in contrast to how much I've sinned against Jesus. So that's the second theme. The good that he's received from Jesus is in contrast to how much he has sinned against Jesus. And that leads to our third theme, and really it's the main point of the whole passage. Jesus saved Paul so that no one would be afraid to come to him. That's the main point. It's the third theme we're going to look at. But Jesus saved Paul so that no one would be afraid to come to him. As we walk through these themes, I just don't want us to lose the forest for the trees. What this text is about is Paul saying, my ministry, my spiritual life is all because of Jesus. And it's not because I'm great. In fact, I'm the worst of sinners. And the reason Jesus saved me is so there would be no one who's afraid that they are too sinful to be cleansed by Jesus. That's what this whole passage is about. And I'm praying that we can see it as we look at these themes one at a time. So let's break them down one at a time. The first, the good in Paul's life comes from Jesus. Verse 12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. So that phrase, let's start with that. I thank him who has given me strength. Here's something really important about Paul. He knows, you can read this all over his letters, he knows that every ounce of effectiveness in his ministry, any power that he has when he prays or preaches, shares the gospel, writes a letter, is because Jesus is giving him strength, moment by moment. Paul does not think that his effectiveness in ministry or any of his success comes from within, from his own greatness. He knows that Jesus is giving him strength all the time. We should see our lives like this more. We should have this kind of perspective. All the strength we have is from him. If you have strength for anything, it's because Jesus is giving it to you. You're that dependent on Jesus. Do you know that? Without Jesus, you're like a sailboat without wind. No matter how beautiful you are or how well-built a ship you are, you're not moving anywhere. We should think like that more. The Bible does. Paul does. Let's keep going. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He, Jesus, judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So reading this, you might think that Paul's saying he was living a godly, faithful Christian life. And Jesus looked down on him and said, that guy's faithful. I think I'm going to appoint him to my ministry because of how faithful he is. That's not what this means. Let's think for a second. If you know your Bibles, when was Paul appointed to Christ's service? 
Was it after he had been a Christian for a long time with a faithful track record? No. Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26 tell us it happened. Jesus appointed Paul to his service while Paul was on the way to persecute Christians. And on the way, on Paul's way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, blinds him with his glory, knocks him on the ground. That's the moment he appoints Paul to his service. This is Acts 26. So this is Paul. He's, he's recounting what happened that day. Acts 26, 15 through 16. He's going to persecute Christians in Damascus, and Jesus talks to him, blinds him. And says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant. And a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Jesus appointed Paul to his service while Paul was on his way to imprison Christians. Which means, whatever this text is saying, it's not saying that Jesus looked at Paul and was like, faithful guy, let's, let's bring him in. That's not what's happening. Up until that moment, Paul had been trying to destroy Christianity. So when Paul says that he judged me faithful, what he means is that Jesus made a judgment that turned him into a faithful person. There's a phrase just like this in 1 Corinthians 7.25 where Paul says, I am by the Lord's mercy trustworthy. It's the same word, trustworthy as faithful in our passage. In the Greek, they're the same word. He says, by the Lord's mercy, I'm trustworthy. He's saying, by the Lord's mercy, I have been judged faithful. I've heard that the sculptor Michelangelo, Italian, I've heard that the sculptor Michelangelo, he could look at big blocks of marble, huge blocks of marble, and that's all they were. They were just big blocks, and he could look at it and say, that's Moses. That one, that's David. He was not declaring what the block of marble already was. He was declaring what he was going to make it into. When Jesus judged Paul, a violent persecutor, when he judged him faithful, he's not declaring what Paul already was, but what he would make him. And so what does Paul do? Look at verse 12. What's he do with that? He thanks Jesus. Paul knows that all the strength that he has comes from Jesus and so he does what we ought to do. He gives thanks. Thankfulness is one of the signs that your soul is healthy. If you're a thankful person, it means you're in touch with reality. Now, you might say, well, you don't know my pain. You don't know the suffering I'm going through right now. You don't know my story. I, I actually don't have reasons to be thankful. You do. What is real? I'm not talking about how you feel or what the internet tells you, what your phone tells you, what the news tells you. What's real is that God is so kind 
And every little good thing that you enjoy in your life is a gift. If you don't see life like that, you're out of touch with reality. Reality is that any good in your life is given to you by someone who loves you. Thank Jesus. Paul makes it clear one more time that the good in his life comes from Christ. Look down to verse 14. He says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? The grace of our Lord, it overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace is God's free kindness to people who don't deserve it. That's what grace is. God is not coerced. He's not pressured by you or anybody else to be kind to you. He just is. It's free. That's what grace is. And Paul says the grace of our Lord overflowed. Do you see that word? Paul doesn't just think that he gets a little communion cup of grace to drink. When Paul thinks about the grace in his life, he thinks about it pouring in the windows and through the roof and through the doors. That's how he thinks about grace. It's overflowing to him. And what does that grace create? What does verse 14 say? His grace overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So when God's grace was overflowing to Paul, it created faith and love. What an amazing verse. God's grace, Paul is saying, created Paul's trust in God. God's grace, his kind gift to Paul, was to create Paul's love for God. The reason you trust God or love him or other people is because he is producing it in you as a gift of his kindness. You don't trust Jesus because you're smarter than the person sitting next to you. You do not trust Jesus because you have made better life choices. You trust him if you do because he's giving it to you as a gift. Paul is making it clear the grace of Jesus is why he trusts God. Everything good he has can be traced back to God's grace. Parents, kids in the room, you know around age three or four, kids ask why about everything. And the second you give them an answer to their question why, they ask why about that. Daddy, why do birds have nests? Well, so, so they have a place to put their eggs. Why do birds have eggs? Well, it's where baby birds come from. Why, why do baby birds come from? Why, why are baby birds in eggs? I guess God just wanted it that way. Why? He, he just did. Why? Uh, he just did. Why? If you think about any good thing in your life and you ask why long enough, 
this is the answer you're going to get to. Because God is being kind to you and you don't deserve it. Everything good comes from Jesus. That's not an overstatement, church. Everything good comes as a gift of kindness from Jesus. Here's the second theme of Paul's testimony. All the good that he receives is in contrast with how much he sinned against Jesus. Look at verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Blasphemy is when you speak against God. And Paul's saying, the things that came out of my mouth about Jesus were vile. I blasphemed the Son of God. I spoke evil of the most worthy of all. He says, I was a persecutor. Paul's goal was to end Christianity. Do you get that? Paul's life goal was to end Christianity. He was traveling from town to town. He says this. He was trying to pressure Christians to say something about Jesus, like he's the son of God or he's equal with God, so that he could charge them with blasphemy, arrest them, and have them killed. He adds here, I was an insolent opponent. The, the word there means violent, arrogant and violent. The New International Version translates it, a violent man. So Paul's saying, I didn't just persecute Christians. I was violent. I didn't just do my duty and kind of hold my nose at the fact that, yeah, these Christians needed to die. He's saying, I loved it. I was a violent man, boastful, aggressive, raging against the people of God, we are talking about an evil man. When Paul uses those three words, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, he's not holding back. He's not minimizing the person that he was. He's saying, I was evil. I hated God's people, and I was a boastful, violent enemy of Christ. And I just need to add at this point, for us, don't minimize your sin. You know what I mean by minimize? Like make it smaller, look smaller. I don't think my sin's that big of a deal. I, the way I talk, I make it sound like my sin's that, not that big of a deal. I tell myself it's not that big of a deal. I mean, who wants to feel bad, right? If you do that, you will never know the greatness of God's grace towards you. If you minimize your personal guilt against God, the things you've done, the things you've thought, the things you've felt, you are cutting yourself off from healing. This is like tying a knot in the IV line that the doctors put in your arm because you don't like the way it feels. It's short-sighted. Don't minimize the fact of your personal sin against God. Now, as a church, I don't want us to be the kind of church where we're always reliving our sin from the past, or we are perpetually crying over our sins so that we can't enjoy the fact that we have the best news in the world. 
But I do want us to call it what it was and what it is. We should not minimize the fact of our sins against God if we want to enjoy how great His grace is, which is one of the reasons you exist, to enjoy His grace. Paul continues in verse 13 saying, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. And here's a peculiar phrase. He says in 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Some people think here that Paul's saying, well, of course Jesus gave me mercy because I didn't know what I was doing. So obviously he should give me mercy. That's certainly not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying that his ignorance made him less of a sinner. Ignorance is when you don't know something. Paul did not know that Jesus was the Christ when he was persecuting the church. But Paul cannot be saying, listen, guys, I didn't know. Oops, mercy. No. This whole section is written to show just how bad his sin was. I mean, in verses 15 and 16, you can see he says that he's the foremost sinner. He's writing this to let you know, I'm the greatest of the sinners. So Paul's not mentioning his ignorance in order to lessen his guilt. He was ignorant. He did not know Jesus was the Christ. But he should have known. This man knew his Old Testament better than any of us in this room. His ignorance was not an excuse. If the police pull me over going 200 kilometers per hour down this road, I don't know what it is, Sultan bin Shakput, whatever, 200 kilometers per hour, they pull me over and I say, I didn't know. I thought maybe this was a 220. I didn't know it was an 80. He's going to start writing on his pad or whatever they do. And he's going to give me a ticket and he's going to say, you should have known. 200 kilometers per hour. Ignorance is not an excuse for speeding. It's not an excuse for sin. So why does Paul say this? Why does he say he received mercy because of his ignorance in unbelief? Here's what I think he's doing. I think he's saying, I was wicked, 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 wicked in unbelief. But my unbelief was different than the Pharisees who were with Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 11, Jesus casts out a demon. The Pharisees know it's by the Holy Spirit, but they say that it's by Satan that Jesus has done it. So they had gotten a special taste, a special knowledge from the Holy Spirit of who Jesus was, and they purposefully rejected it. And so Jesus speaks to these men, and he says this. This is Matthew 12, 32. He says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is saying, you can say all sorts of things about me and be forgiven. And Paul's like, yes, that's me. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. 
Jesus is telling these men, you are not ignorant in your unbelief. The Holy Spirit was testifying to you about me, and you self-consciously claimed it was evil. There are people who do this. They get a taste of the Spirit, a special knowledge of who God is, and they reject it. They shut themselves off from the Spirit. That kind of hard-hearted rejection of the Holy Spirit doesn't want mercy. It doesn't want it. And Jesus says, it will not be forgiven. Paul's saying, I think here, I wasn't like that. I was evil. I was the most evil. But I was ignorant in my evil. When Jesus confronted me with the truth and made me taste it, I knew I needed mercy. So Paul's not excusing his sin here in verse 13. He's simply saying that he was able to receive mercy because he'd not shut himself off from the Holy Spirit like the Pharisees had. So, Redeemer, here's an encouragement and a warning. If you don't know Jesus the way that you should, it's no excuse for your sin. Paul says he was ignorant, and then he goes on to say, but I was the greatest of sinners. Blasphemer, persecutor, violent opponent. Here's the encouragement. As you hear the truth, don't reject it. Even now, right now, as God is giving you more knowledge of who he is, let your heart be soft to it. As long as you want Christ's mercy, he'll give it. He says in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, whoever comes, I will never cast out. Whoever comes, I'll never cast out. But if you resist him long enough, this is the warning. When you know the truth and you persist in resisting, Someday you won't want his mercy anymore. And that's the most horrible place in this life to be, to not want his mercy. If you do want it, come to him. He will never cast you out. And if you need convincing, that's why Paul wrote this passage. It's our third point. It's the main point. Jesus saved Paul so that no one would be afraid to come to him. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Last week, in verses 8 through 11, we saw that the false teachers of the law, they didn't get it. They taught the law to feel good about their own goodness. Jesus did not come to make you feel better about your own righteousness. He came to save sinners. That's why he came. Do you know why Jesus came? He came to save sinners. Sinners, those are the only people he will save. 
Don't pretend that you're not that bad. Don't pretend, well, you know, at least I'm better than this person sitting next to me over here. Jesus came for sinners, bad ones, and those are the only ones he will save. Yeah, but what about that thing I did that no one knows about? What about that nasty thing I did to that other person? What about that thing that would ruin my life if people knew? What about the sin I said I had dealt with for the last time and I ran to it again? Surely Jesus does not have time for that. He does. This moment, you need to hear the patience of Jesus Christ is perfect. Paul says, verse 16, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Imagine Jesus is trying to convince you to come to him. He's saying, come, come to me. I won't cast you out, come. And you start telling him all the reasons you can't come. My sin is too malicious. It's too shameful. It's too perverted. It's too long-lasting. It's too secret or it's too public. And he looks to his side and he says, come over here, Paul. Tell him. And Paul says, I dragged men and women from their homes. I imprisoned and beat them. I tempted them to blaspheme and I was glad when they were killed. I destroyed people. And I boasted in my rage. I said things about Jesus that should never be repeated. If sinners have a chief, I would be the one. And Jesus would turn to you and say, of course I can save you. My patience is there is no too shameful, too wicked, too perverted, too long-lasting for me. If you come to me, I will never cast you out. Church, that is who Jesus is. He's more patient than you or me. You cannot sin too wickedly, too greatly, too long for him. If you come, he will receive you. Paul says, that's why Jesus saved me, so that you would know that. Christ's death is more than enough for your sin 10 billion times over. Hear him. He will not turn his nose up to you in disgust if you bring to him all your sin.
He won't do it. He's not like us. But that's what you've got to do. You've got to come as you really are in your sin and cast yourself on him for mercy. He will forgive every last evil. His grace will begin to change you, cleanse you, and he will bring you into the promised everlasting life. If you don't trust Jesus, if that's you, you don't know him, come to him. He will never, never cast you out. And Christians, let this be an encouragement to you. When you sin again, and sadly, you will, I will, and you feel, ugh, again, I can't pray to him now. I wouldn't let me come again. Remember, his patience is perfect. He will always greet with the open arms of mercy those who come to him. The first time, the tenth time, the hundredth time, the ten thousandth time. As Paul reflects on his own testimony and who Jesus is, he can't go another verse without praise. Verse 17. This is how we'll end. To the king of ages... Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God should be praised. Because every good thing we have comes from him. That's what Paul's testified to. And we, wretched people, weighed down like sin, just like the Apostle Paul, we have a Savior whose patience is perfect. Don't be afraid. As long as you have life, if you come to him, he will receive you, forgive you, cleanse you, and bring you to the promised eternal life with him. So to him, as Paul says, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.